Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the Word and led by the Spirit. I hope today's message encourages you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus. So Jesus told a story, and I was actually laying in bed with one of my kids telling them this last night, and I said, I think we get God so wrong. So Jesus himself told this story. He said there was a father who had two sons. The young son comes to him and says, Father, give me my inheritance, which was basically like, when you die, I'm going to get, I just want you to be dead to me, and I want my money. And he goes and he spends it, and he runs away, and he spends it on loose living women and wine and drinking, or gambling. And then to the point where he wastes it all, and he's in a pigsty longing to eat their food. And he's like, I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to beg him to take me back. And I'm going to tell him, I'm not worth being your son, but I'll be a servant. And Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And we go, no, no, no. He's got to pay for that. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. This is what the kingdom of God is like. And Jesus says the father was standing, waiting, scanning the horizon, waiting for his son to come home. And when he came home, he lifted up, girded his loins, and and he ran. He ran. The father ran, not the kid. The kid probably walked up like this, went into his spiel, Father, I'm not worthy to be your son. And he almost was like, no, no, no. Wraps him up. I'm so glad you're home. Puts a robe on his back, like dresses him puts a ring on his finger, which means you now have my insignia. You're my son. You were dead, but now you're alive. Then throws a party. Tell me what the kingdom of God is like. That is what the kingdom of God is like. And so why do I always, I always revert to, I got to earn that. I always revert to, I ran away and I failed you. I don't deserve to be your son. But the gospel is the father wants you to come home. He doesn't care what you did. He doesn't care how much shame's on you. The moment that he sees you, he runs to you, and he goes, can I, can I dress you? Can I put my identity on you? Can I take what was and now make you something different? And let's have a party. And I was telling one of my kids last night, isn't that cool that that's what God thinks about you? Like, how cool is it that the Bible says that when one sinner repents of their sin, the angels in heaven are like, like, so, they're like, yeah, they did it. And we think we got to earn it. And we think, and we walk in a lot of times, and this is why I love the words we're about to study. They are Jesus's words. And I love Jesus's words. Sometimes we can debate, like, did Paul really mean that? Well, this is Jesus, okay? And so we're going to study John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Not all today, so take a deep breath. John 14, and then next week Jeremiah will come, and he'll do John 15, and then I get to go do John 16 and 17. I love these words of Jesus because it is what's called his farewell discourse. And I'll set the table for you, and it's literally a table. He comes to the Last Supper days before he'll be on the cross. And he says, I have longed to eat this meal with you. And I always cry when I say that because I picture the Son of Man, Jesus going, I just really wanted to eat with you. And I'm like, you're so cool. 
So they're sitting at a low table. That's where they're having what we're about to read. John is reclining against Jesus, like that's how they would have sat, low table, eating uh, with their right hand, not their left. And so they're sitting there, they're eating and they're rejoicing. And this is the same table that he establishes what we're going to do at the end of this service, the breaking of the bread and the giving of the wine, his body and his blood. Just before, for a little context, in chapter 13, he looks at Judas and basically says, you're going to betray me. In chapter 414, he looks at Peter and says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. That's, the, that's what just happened in the room that we're about to hear, all right? So the air just dropped out of the room, and then Jesus is like, all right, boys, let me teach you something. But let me ask you this to put it into our world. What would you say if you knew it was your last moments with your people? Husbands, you have two days to live. You get all your kids and your wife and your family. In the room. What do you say to them? And usually those things are pretty profound. You're like, I, this, this is going to matter, so I'm going to say really important stuff. And that's why we're not really doing the whole book of John this month. We're doing 14, 15, 16, 17, because this is, Jesus is like critical inch right here. This is like, I'm about to go to the cross. You need to know this. And not only do they need to know it, I think the church today needs to be reminded that Jesus said all this. So grab a Bible, open up to John 14. I've been praying a very specific prayer that the thing that God says he'll do in this, which is come and be with us, that he loves us, that he's like this loving father that wants you to come home, you would actually experience that today. You'd hear the call of God. You would hear God say, stop dilly-dallying in the pigsty, come home. Or maybe you're walking in some half form of Christian identity that you would hear the Father tell you he loves you today. And there's a difference. Like, for God so loved the world, I know he loves the world, but look, I would love to walk around this room and point at every one of you, look you in the eyeballs, and be like, he came for you. He came for you. He's after you. The God of heaven and earth died for you. And I think we push that off for a lot of reasons. We think it's like pride to say that, but it's biblical truth. So let me pray, and then we'll preach, and we will read a section, and then we'll talk about it, and then we'll read a section, and then we'll talk about it. So Father, I ask for an encounter with your love. Perfect love casts out fear, and your love is the most perfect around. I pray that it would be dumped, it would be poured. Romans 4 says that the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts. Where we have forgotten that or maybe are running dry, would you refresh today? If we've run away, if we're a prodigals, and some days, Lord, I feel like a prodigal, but you welcome me home. And you clothe us with righteousness. And you give us a ring, an identity that says, I belong to the family of God and nothing will take that from me. I thank you that there's no striving this morning. And I thank you that there's beauty and power in your word. Silence any other liar, any other voice. We want to hear Jesus. John 14. We're just going to read to about verse 11. And then we're going to talk about it. So let not your hearts be troubled. 
Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So that's the biggest chunk we're going to read all day. So picture the room again. You're sitting at a table with Jesus. He looked Judas in the eyes. You're going to betray me. Peter, you're going to deny me. And he leads the next statement with, let your hearts not be troubled. I love Jesus. Out of all the things he could have done, he's going to the cross and he knows it. He could have been like, boys, get around me. I'm scared. I don't want to do this. I don't want to die. But what is the great shepherd of the sheep doing going, I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want your hearts being fretting. I don't want anxiety in you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. There's nothing to worry about here. That's so cool that that's his concern. His concern is his friends and his disciples. And how, how much more in this day and age could we use Jesus speaking to our hearts? Don't let your heart be so troubled. The earth we live on, I feel like the news cycles and even Satan himself, you know what he wants to do? He just wants to make turbulent waters where everything's troubled, where everybody's fretting, where everybody's anxious, where everybody's like, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? Balloons in the sky over Montana. Like, and Jesus is like, Stop. I don't want your heart troubled. Do not fret. Do not be anxious. And he's going to speak later. He's going to look them, my peace, I give to you. I'm giving you peace that the world can't give. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. And you know what he's claiming there? Him and God, same. So to believe in the Father, to see the Father is to see what the Son's doing. To see the Son is to see the Father. He's going, I really am God in the flesh. Listen to me. And then in a great 90s song, he says, come and go with me to my Father's house, where there's many, many rooms, and we will play football. Anybody 90s Christian kids up in this place? Come and go with me to my Father's house. Come and go with me. Macarena and everything, right? Come and go with me to my father's. Many, many rooms. And, and we made it into this like kind of like jovial, like really kind of jokey thing. But it's true. He looks them in the face. He says, I wouldn't tell you so if it wasn't. 
I'm telling you that I'm going to go to my Father and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Very specific and very individualized. You. I'm making a place for you to be with me. Do you notice that he doesn't say, I'm making a room so you'll have a room in heaven? He's saying, I'm making a place for you so that I can bring you to me, to myself. I'll apply it to this room. I might cry. My grandparents are right there. He's 84. You're 84. I love you. We're not underneath the uh, belief that you're going to live forever, huh? But Jesus said he's going to make a place for you. So I won't fret when you go. I'll look forward to seeing you again. That's a good promise. So you don't have to fret when you go. Randall Rothrock was here first service. You know what? His little girl passed away. And I said, Jesus prepared a place for her. Do you feel the like the like? I wouldn't tell you that if it's not true. So no matter what happens tomorrow, I have a promise that there's a place for me. And he wants to bring me to it. And if he's doing it, then I can't mess it up. And if he's doing it, he's going to come back and bring you to himself. This is the hope of the Christian. No fear in life, no guilt in life, no fear in death. Because of Jesus' blood and righteousness. Like, I am free. I wouldn't tell you this if it wasn't so. And then, can we all just say, God bless Thomas. Like, don't you love the Thomases in the room? Like, Thomas is in this room reclining at the table with the Son of God who's like, here's communion, it's deep, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And he's like, Jesus, right? Don't, like, you ever been in a small group and someone, they just ask the question that blows the whole thing up, like ruins the moment? Thomas. But do you see that Jesus doesn't get mad at him? And he's not afraid of your questions? He's like, good points, Jesus, but one thing. Uh, where are you going? How do we get there? We don't even know where that is. And in one of those verses that gets tossed around a lot, but is the very profound, Jesus said to him, so he looks at Thomas, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. And you could feel him being like, Take a deep breath, Thomas. I'm going to get you there. Like, Thomas, I am the way to the Father. I am the way to God. And if you want to know him, you got me already. You're good. I am the truth. There is no other other than me because truth is exclusive. And I am the life. And he's not just saying, like, here's this eternal life out there. He's going, this life you're living right now, Christian, he's it. Root yourself in the life of Christ and live it here with him. And then one day he'll come and take you to his father's house. And we will play football and eat good food and laugh and be like, man, that generation song, I was like, yeah. Standing with generations of Christians, staring at the Lamb of God, going, you are worthy and took away our sin. And you can hear the roar. You can hear the whole people in the assembly of God. Yes. Here's to the king. Jesus is instilling hope and a fearlessness. He doesn't want their hearts troubled. And so he says, hey, hear me on this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Philip then, and this is what I love about the disciples. Do you see that everybody's asking Jesus questions? Nobody gets it. 
Thomas is like, how do we get there? And then Philip's like, okay, well, can you just show us the father? That'll be good. I'm good then. And once again, Jesus, because he's so good, he's like, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So all the time people are like, show me God. And I'm like, you want to know what God is like? Look at how Jesus treats people. Look at how Jesus went and sat with sinners. Look at, you want to know what Jesus thinks about women? How did Jesus treat, how did God think about women? How does Jesus treat women? How does God think about sin and sinners and prostitutes and taxes? What did Jesus do? Jesus is literally putting himself co-equal. He is the second person of the Godhead, second person of the Trinity. He is God in the flesh. And he's going, if you have me, you have him. So Christian, do you have Jesus? Then you have the Father and the Holy Spirit, which is a good package deal. The fullness of God. And then he says some things that really they bother us because a lot of us don't walk in them, but they are Jesus' words. Verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Can we go, wow? Just read that over a couple times this week and see if it doesn't challenge you in every way possible. You want to know the verse that everyone fights about in John 14? There it is. What are these greater works? And I didn't get in these fights, so let's, let's break it down. He says, truly, truly. And anytime you see Jesus say, truly, truly, it just means like, for real, y'all. Like, this isn't like half truth or like a little bit. Of, this is like, this is real. Listen to it. Really, really, I say to you, whoever. Now, whoever is a good word. Now, if you're an English teacher, or uh, what's the word whoever mean? Everybody. Uh, anyone. Anyone that believes in me. Anyone. Whoever. And the reality is, we like to play with this verse and go, well, he was talking to the apostles. They obviously did this stuff. But not me. Well, whoever would beg a different, to, a, a, to challenge you a little bit. Whoever includes anybody that believes in the name of Jesus will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Anybody raise anybody from the dead? Anybody? Not yet. Anybody walk on water? You want to go on the pond and try? Thank you, kids. Anybody laid their hands on the sick and seen them get well? I have. Anybody sat with sinners and declared to them the kingdom of God and the righteousness that comes from him? Anybody got alone, got on alone by themselves with the Father and prayed? Anybody? So I, I, I feel like sometimes we pigeonhole ourselves and the enemy can use this first because we're like, well, I haven't raised the dead and I haven't walked on the water and I haven't told a mountain to jump in the sea. And, uh, oh, and we start to be like, well, I must not be whoever. The reality is the apostles did walk in a degree of this that I don't think anybody in this room has. But for 500 years after Jesus says, you, you know what the church was testified to doing? Casting out demons, healing people of diseases. Roman emperors would constantly say like, don't kill all the Christians, we won't be able to get rid of our demons. Because they knew. 
So let's talk about this, because most of us, we fight over these greater works. Like, I could never do anything greater than Jesus. So I would agree with several theologians that I follow that the greater works is, if, I, if we put the Holy Spirit of God in 8.2 billion people, I don't know how many Christians there are. There's a lot of Christians. We put God's presence in living temples on every continent of the planet and say, go in Jesus' name. Is that a greater work? That would impact all of creation? So I would agree with some that that's greater. So we fight about the greater, so I don't even want to talk about the greater. I just want to talk about whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Let's do with that. Are we doing the works that Jesus did? And I'm going to de-supernaturalize it because you all think you're supposed to be smacking dead people in the face and doing, I, forget all that. What Jesus said he would do, he would only do what he saw the Father doing. Jesus was so caught up in his identity as a son that he would sit with the Father and be like, what are we doing today? And then he would execute. And so let's do, do another 90s fun thing. Uh, back in the 90s, there were these bracelets. They came in a lot of colors, and they had four letters on them. Anybody remember that fantastic fad? WWJD. And everybody? What would Jesus do, right? And it became this whole movement, and what would Jesus do? And uh, half the time, I think we never really did actually what Jesus would do. We just liked having the rainbow wristbands. Um, but it is a phenomenal question. So let me put you in a scenario. You're at work tomorrow, and Susan's there. Susan. But Susan, she gets the phone call, the one that nobody wants, and it's like, cancer. And Susan's crushed. Susan's weeping, and the whole office temperature changes, right? So everybody in the office is like, yikes. I don't want to enter into that. That's too emotional. Nobody likes to deal with emotions in our world today. What would Jesus do? And if you know him and you have the spirit of God in you and we're going, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, what the heck would Jesus do? I bet he would be there, there, it's gonna be okay and then retreat as quickly as possible. Well, there is a moment in the Bible where a man named Lazarus dies and he was Jesus' friend. And it's the two sisters, Mary, Martha comes to him first and weeps and says, if you would have been here, he would have been alive. Then Mary does the same thing. And then finally, what does the Son of God on the earth do? Jesus wept. So I don't know what it would be with Suzanne, but I bet it would be if Jesus was in that room, he would go show the love of God in a way that would transform Suzanne, Suzanne's life and be like, I haven't abandoned you in this cancer. Or maybe if this is, I only do what the Father's doing. If I'm in that room and I go, Father, you love and created Suzanne for yourself. What do you want me to do? Just go weep with her, Andrew. That will actually be harder for me than if he was like, go lay hands on her and ask for healing. Because I don't like emotions. But maybe for you, the Father's like, I want you just to go weep with her. Will you do Jesus' work? So don't make it about walking on water and slapping demons out of people and healing. If Jesus wants to do that, he'll do that through you. In fact, 1 Corinthians says a lot of that stuff is spiritual gift stuff. What I'd worry about is, does God have enough control over your heart that he gets to tell you what to do?
Jesus said, I only do what the Father tells me to do, and he did it, and saw the power of God, the kingdom of God. Let's be those people. Or we could fight about what greater works are, but I don't really want to fight today. He leads that, or follows that with, wow, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's a really good promise. You want to try? I ask for a million dollars in the name of Jesus. It didn't work. Well, why? That was the promise, right? You ever prayed with somebody and they are throwing in Jesus' name a lot? They put it on everything. They're like, I want steak in Jesus' name. I want wealth in Jesus' name. And you're like, I think we might be missing the principle here or what he was actually telling us. So all he said before is, I want you to bring you to myself, and I want you with me. And what he did is, in the name of Jesus, we get to come to the Father. So when I come to the Father as a son, you know what I get to say? My Father. And that's not improper. But you know why I can call him Father? Because the Son of God made me able. So when we come to the Father, we're going, "Uh, I want to line up my heart. I want to line up my will. I want to line up what I'm asking for. I want your kingdom and your ways and your things. And I'm only able to ask this in the name of Jesus. And it's by his blood that I come. Do you see the submission? And it's not so much like, God, I, I got a laundry list here. And I wrote in Jesus' name at the bottom. I don't think that's what Jesus is after. But what I've learned in the, even the last week, I was actually at a, uh, people were praying for me. And I, I was talking to the Lord, and I was struggling with just like being a son and God liking me and like, did I mess up too much? You ever ask that stuff in your head? Like, does God really like me? I'm not that cool. I'm not that great. And I've hurt people in my life. And I felt like, and I know this is more subjective, but I want you to see what God's doing in me because I want him to do it in you. And he said, son, I love it when you ask me for stuff. Anybody have kids in this room? I love it when my daughter, Grace, asks me for stuff. Grace, you hear that? There's a game, a card game called Sleeping Queens. Almost every morning in my life, Dad, you want to play Sleeping Queens? Like the hip and everything. You want to play Sleeping Queens with me? I would love to play Sleeping Queens with you. Dad, you want to play Super Smash? I would love to play a dumb video game with you. Dad, you want to play checkers? Yes. Dad, I need help. Dad, dad. And I've never once been like, stop asking me. Maybe about the 1700 time, yes. But like those first few cute times, you're like, yeah. But even if you take the whole counsel of the Bible, it says we're supposed to be like the persistent widow and be like, I'm not giving up because I know you're good, and I'm going to keep asking in the name of Jesus, and you're going to work this all to my good and your glory. Yes, Lord. I think the Father loves when his kids ask. So let's just pause for a second and apply it to you. Where in your heart, where in your life do you need the Son of God to come and go, Peace. Where do you need Jesus to come in and go, don't let your heart be troubled there? Where are you not believing that he's prepared a place for you, or that's not for you, that's for those really, really special religious people, but not me, because I'm broken. 
Where are you not asking the Father? Where are you? Usually, me not asking is me not submitting. I'm not asking because I don't want him to mess with it. But our life is, God, I know you're the best and you give only good. So I give you everything. What do you want to do? I submit in Jesus' name. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the work that I do. I'm of a firm belief that the world needs now, more than ever, Christians that are full of Jesus. Not full of religion, not trite prayers, not anything like WWJD bracelets or any like little corny songs come and go. No, none of it. They need the man, Jesus, and they need him on the earth. And the cool thing is, he said he would fill you with his spirit and go with you wherever you go. So as you walk this week, ask the question, Jesus, what would you do right here? The scary part is when you figure it out. When you're like, I think you would do this. And you're like, but I don't want to do that, Jesus. That's scaly. Like, do you understand that feeling? That's faith. That's this life that we're called to. You might get to lay your hands on somebody one day and see them healed. Do you want to know the moments in my life where I didn't see people get healed? For the first half of my Christianity, do you know why I didn't see people get healed? I didn't pray for them. My theology and my box and my mind would not let me. But Jesus said that. So I have to wrestle with the word and go, okay, it hasn't happened every time, but I've definitely seen it happen. He goes on and he says, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Wow, not God on me, not God around me, not Jesus beside me, but God the Holy Spirit in? So there's no getting away from him. He's with me right now. He's with you right now. If you're in Christ, you have the spirit of God. Third person of the Trinity, God which is a good promise. But he says right off the bat, if, and if is conditional. If is you cannot do it or do it. If you love me. And I, I think I could do this right now and I'm pretty sure like 97% of you in the room, if I was like, do you love Jesus? You'd all be like, yes, I love Jesus. Like that would be you, right? We're here because we love Jesus. I love the son of God. Don't you love him? It's so good to belong to him. He's such a good shepherd. He's such a good savior. I love him. And it says, if you love him, which I think we would all say, keep his commandments. And that's where it also gets hard. Because we're like, no, 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 don't talk about commandments. That's legalism. No, that's love. That's the love of God being expressed by how I live. And here's the reality. They're not easy. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, be like, do you want to hit me again? And let them. If they ask you to go one mile, go two. If anyone is in need, bless them and give them what you have. Like, a new commandment I give you. Jesus, love one another. That's a hard commandment some days. And so it's like, I love Jesus, but I don't want to love them. 
well, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So if we were to stop for a second and be like, what commandment do you think the Lord, if we just stopped and said, Father, what, what part of my life am I, am I struggling to obey? I, I would dare you to ask God. Spend some time this week. The reality is you are a son or daughter of God and a good father disciplines his kids. It's not the wrath of God. Discipline is actually the care of God. If you're a, if you're a parent in this room and you don't discipline your kids, I don't want to be around your kids. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Jesus calls himself a helper. And he says, I'm going to ask the Father and the Father is going to give you another one like me, is how it would read in the original. Another person who's just like me. And so Jesus had called these guys like, come and follow me. And they sold it all, man. They were like dropping nets and selling stuff and be like, we'll follow you forever. We'll die with you, right? And so he's kind of been like, all right, come and follow me. And then Peter would mouth off. He'd be like, Peter, Peter shut up. And then he'd be following him. And they'd be like, now you're going to go cast out demons. And they would go do it and be like, God, it actually happened. He'd be like, don't celebrate in that, celebrate in this. He was constantly helping them understand the kingdom, constantly helping them. And then he looks at them and says, I'm leaving. Can you feel the like, you're what? You're doing what? We... The deal was we were going to follow you. You were going to overthrow the Romans and then you were going to make us generals in your kingdom. That was their mindset. And he goes, you missed it, boys. I'm going to go to the Father and then I'm going to ask the Father to give you another helper just like me. Except he's not going to be right next to you. He's going to be in you. And apparently in Jesus' mind, what is better than the Son of God next to me is the Spirit of God in me. And I've heard this thing like, man, you talk about the Holy Spirit a lot, Andrew. Do you want to know why I talk about the Holy Spirit a lot? Because Jesus made a big deal that his spirit was going to be the birthright of this new covenant people. And that him in, God in me is just like another helper, like Jesus, is just like if Jesus was right here, I could be like, Jesus, what do you think you want to say to these people? He could tell me, right, if he was here. Holy Spirit, who only speaks what he hears, what do you want to say to your people today? Y'all are like, yeah, we'll get crazy. Okay, that's what the Bible says. Great. When the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Christian, who's inside of you right now? The Holy Spirit of the living God. Verse 18, and I think we'll stop here after we get done with this section. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In the day you will know that I'm in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Whew. There's three like kind of really, really cool things he says. The first one is the very first words in 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as ones uncared for and unfathered. I will not leave you ever. Nothing can separate you from my love. I will come to you. And for them, the reality is Jesus, after resurrection, floats through a wall and is like, peace be with you. And they're like, ah, like he came to them. He did not leave them guessing. He manifested himself a reality of the son of God resurrected from the dead. And he went, Thomas, touch it. Thomas, see. Thomas, you want to see this scar? He came to them. He didn't leave them as orphans. And then you come into our day, and what I find so, it's plaguing the church. We live as orphans. We live as if we're uncared for. We live as if God was like, I know he said that to them, but not me. I am abandoned. I am uncared for. He doesn't hear my prayers. He cares about Andrew's prayers, but he doesn't care about mine. That is a lie from the father of lies. Our father in heaven is the best father ever. And he does not abandon his kids. And there's a spirit of orphanhood. Like we want to believe that somehow me running away like the prodigal means the father won't pursue me. He'll leave me there. That is not the heart of God. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So if you are lost, he will save You have to come to him. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father, but he wants you to come. He's beckoning you, come. And I know you Christians are in the room. I said a prayer when I was seven, I got saved. And I'm like, why are you living as an orphan right now? Why are you living as if you are uncared for? Why Why are we fretting and troubling all the time? Why are we like, God doesn't like me. And it's, if you live in that state long enough, you live, you live a jaded life. You live a really weird Christian life. Take even a physical orphan, an actual human child who doesn't think they are cared for or loved by their dad or their mom. Things get weird. They start distrusting where they should trust. They start running when they should come close. They start, I mean, literally, they feel unloved and uncared for. Why do the people of God feel that so often? Jesus Christ says to you, I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. He follows that up with the same thing he just said. If you love me, in that day, you will know that I'm the Father, you and me, and I live in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So once again, I know we would all probably say with our mouths, I love the Lord. And he's going, okay, now do what I say. Keep my commandments, keep my word, and that's how I'll know you love me. And then the promise of 21. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Once again, there's a whoever in there. So if you love God, you love this Jesus, then go do his commandments, walk out his ways. And he says, what will happen is not only will Jesus be like, I like that guy, the father in heaven will be like, I love that one. And then Jesus will come and he will do a very weird word, manifest. If I was to manifest my anger towards you, this is what it would look like. 
I'd slap you across the face. That, makes ta- that, that means makes it real, makes it touchable, makes it impact you, makes you encounter something. Jesus just said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. My Father will place his love on you, and I will come and manifest myself. Make real, make tangible, make in your face real me. What's the last time? When can you remember the last time Jesus' love and life became manifest in your life? If not, I'm just going to gently push you as your pastor. You're missing out on the whole point of Christianity. The whole point of Christianity is to be with him. The whole point of Christianity is knowing him. The whole point of Christianity is not a to-do list. The whole point of Christianity is not gathering in this room. The whole point of Christianity is him, the man, Jesus. And you can know him today. And I'm actually preaching at Christians There's a remarkable number of Christians that don't think they can know God or that God's mad at them. But I'm like, the cross took care of that. Jesus is now issuing you, like, come into the Father's house. Come and go with me. I'll sing the stupid song. But the Spirit of God's the one that's got to put it on your heart. He says, Jesus, and then once again, so it's not just Thomas asking questions, Philip's asking questions, and then Judas, not Iscariot, not the betrayer, asks another question. How is it that you're going to do this? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Anybody want God to come make his home with you? Who wants to live with God? All right? Now, I know that's like, I'm waiting one day for my room in my father's house with football. That's not what he said. He said, right now. He said, if you love me and keep my commandments, my father will place his love on you. And him and I are going to team up, and then we're coming into your house. And then we're going to dwell with you. I'm coming after you. So let's just play this out in reality. Let's say you go home after this. You're eating your grilled cheese and tomato soup. Mm. And you hear a, so you get up, you're like, ah, I just want to watch the game or whatever. And you get to the door, you open it up, and there is God the Father and Jesus Christ. You're like, we'd like to come live with you. What do you say? You're like, oh, I got to clean the baseboards just to say, no, you're like, no, get in here. I want to live with you. I want you part of everything. I don't want anything separated from you. You want to live with me? Yeah, we want to live with you because you love us and you obey us and we want to do every part of life with you. And so just imagine, have you ever, anybody had somebody live in your house that's not part of your family? How hard is it to not get your lives to intersect? You know what I mean? If like you have one bathroom and you have some stranger living in your house, you're like, I really like to brush my teeth, but you know what I mean? You ever had somebody live in your house that's not part of your family? You're like, It's great and all, but like you're really gonna have to like do your own laundry. Just picture that idea. It is profound. God the Son said, if you love me and do my commandments, my Father and I, we will come dwell with you. That's not a future thing. That's here. Can you just it's it's kind of weird, but like, can you picture waking up tomorrow morning and there's Jesus? How was your sleep? <laughs> that's the Jesus of my brain. He's weird. Uh, but no, I'm just saying, that's the reality. 
That's what he said. The spirit in you is better than me beside you because when I wake up tomorrow, he's with me. And when I go to work the next couple of days, he's with me. And whatever comes my way, he's with me and delights in me and loves me and like, ask me for stuff, son. Do you feel the life in this? That it's not this like, I better go back to my dad and beg to be a servant. He's like, my son's alive. Get in the house, we're having a party. The gospel is wild, man. And it's freedom. It is not a ball and chain. It is not condemnation, as some of my religious brethren have told me. It's not. For the Son of Man did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. He wants to save you thoroughly. And if you're here and you're like, I can't come into the house. The cross demands you come and die, but then it says, get in the house. You are made to live with God. You are made to know the Father. The Father loves his kids. He delights in his kids. He doesn't walk out on his kids. Anybody have a good earthly dad? Anybody? I did the opposite first service, realized it was so sad. Like, who had a really bad dad? And everybody was like, I did, I'm sorry. But that wasn't the point. That wasn't the point. The reality is, no matter how good an earthly dad is, our heavenly father is infinitely better. And he cares for me. He cares for you. And the reality is the accuser right now, I know it's happening because it happens to me all the time. People will be like, God cares about you. I'm like, no, he couldn't. If he knew what I did, or if he knew how little attention I gave him this week, or if he knew, like, do you feel that though? That's the liar. He's a liar and he's cruel. Our father in heaven is good. And he says, come. I want to make you clean if you're dirty. And if you've been in shame, I'm going to take it off of you and I'm going to clothe you with my robes of righteousness. And if you forgot who you were, I'm going to put my identity. That's what the ring, the prodigal son's dad gave. It was an identity with a family crest on it. I belong to this family. What can separate us from the love of God? Can sickness, angels, demons, you? That's Romans 8. And it's a beautiful truth that I want us to drill down into because so often, and this is me, I'm not even talking to you, I live like an orphan. I live like God doesn't care. He must care about you, but he doesn't care about me. Or I begin to buy lies, and I, then I come back to this, and I'm like, no, Jesus, your word. Red letter, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. And I'm like, I'm doing my best here, God. And he's like, now I'm going to come dwell with you. And that's good news. God wants to live with you. And all of it. So let's do this. Let's celebrate that fact and come to that table. Because uh, I can tell you all day long, God loves you, and you're not an orphan, and he's going to come and live with you. And you're like, yeah, I've heard that before. But then there's a moment where God on high comes, and he says it to you. Like the Spirit of God puts the Word of God and makes it alive. That's what I've been praying for. And the really cool thing is we're going to celebrate the meal today that Jesus said everything we just read was around this meal. They were, and it wasn't just bread and juice, y'all. 
It was like good food and laughing. It's like, it's like family dinner. And there's the Son of God, and he goes, you want to sit and eat with me? And I'm hoping you're here today because you want to sit with Jesus. And he sat there with them, and he said, you're not going to understand all this. And he began to teach them all that we're talking about. And then he took bread at one point, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. I'm going to let my body be torn apart that you might come to the Father. Eat this in remembrance of me. So as you eat this bread today, you are, it is just physical bread. I don't think this is magic or anything. I think it is a spiritual declaration that the body of Christ broken is what paid for my sin to be taken. And so if I ingest it, I'm like, God, I want your life in me. God, I want to love you better. God, I want to belong. Come and dwell in me. Likewise, he took a glass of wine. This is juice. Glass of wine. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Drink it. And he's going, do you want to belong to me? Well, the only way you can belong to me is if you come to my cross with me and drink my blood and eat my flesh, which is a little creepy when you think about it. But it's, you will only be made right if you come to the way and the truth and the life. The way is through his body broken. The truth is that Jesus Christ is the living son of God, and he is the life here and now, here and later. So let me do this. I want to drop you off in prayer, and the band's going to come up, but I want to let God have the room, which means if he is leading, if you're like, I got to get this sin off of me, I want you to confess it. But a few physical things while they're coming. In the back, there's four tables, and there will be elders and either their spouse or a staff member or somebody at one of those tables. And they would love to offer you communion. They would love to even hear your confession of sin if you have it. There's something about saying, I don't want this, and I confess it and repent, that it loses its power. It's almost like it's biblical, because it is. And so if you need prayer, go back there and be like, pray for me, I, I want this. Or I don't know that love that he's talking about, I want to. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Look at me, you should be a Christian. But you do not become a Christian by coming to a church, you become a Christian by coming to Jesus Christ. There's not, no salvation outside of him. But he is lowly and gentle and he's bidding you come. You have to come to him. But when you do, he makes you new. You bring him your life and your sin, and in exchange, he gives you his life and his righteousness. That's a really good deal. So if you're not a Christian, become one. Give your life to Jesus. And the elders in the back would love to lead you in that. But if you're not a Christian, this meal will not make you one. This bite of bread and dipping in juice. So if you're not a Christian, I would ask, I'm just asking as a friend and to keep you from things that you don't want, judgment, don't do it. I also say because we have gluten-free people, this thing right here is all gluten-free, so if you're not, don't eat this. Uh, but if you're like, man, I don't want to pray with people, I just want to bring my family and do communion, we have one here and one there that you can come do that. Just come take communion by yourself. We even were like, man, we've got a take-home variety. If you're like, I'm going to go home, I don't want to take this yet. I want to pray over all that. I got stuff I got to deal with. Then I'm going to take, take one of these with you, all right? So if you would, would you just close your eyes, bow your heads?
get more interested in what God's saying and doing. Oh, Father, you're good. You're a, I'm, the song says a good, good father, but the word says you're the best. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In a little while, and the world will not see me, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. So just between you and God the Father, maybe you are being, you've been feeling like an orphan. You've been feeling uncared for. You've been feeling like God's ignoring you. You're feeling like, man, I don't, he might not, I don't, I don't, I don't think he cares. I don't think he likes me. Well, you just begin to bring that to the Father. Be like, Father, what do you think about me? Be like, do you see me? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. If you're a Christian, would you just ask God, is there any commandment that I'm not obeying? Is there any place in my heart that's not yours? And if he points something out, it's because he loves you. And we will come and we will make our home with him. And then the last thing is just, would you tell the Father, Lord, I want you to come live with me. Like, you express it. Be like, I want to live with you. I want you to come invade every part of my life. I want to wake up with you and walk with you and talk with you. Will you come in? And even invite him. Like, if you're like, I picture stuff, like opening the front door of my house and being like, God, come and live with me. If you even want to say that to the Lord. If you're uh, one of the communion servers, will you go back? and The room's the Lord's. So if you need prayer, get it. If you need to take communion, take it. There's so much freedom that if right now you're like, I just have to leave, have a great week, the Lord's not mad at you, he's pursuing you. If you take communion and you're like, man, we got to get these kids out of here, that's fine. You can go, you can stay, you can sit, you can worship, you can, like, freedom, freedom. Give God all your attention. And then when he says, yeah, go home, son or daughter, I love you. Go eat Taco Bell. Do it with him. And ask him what he wants to do when you get there. Let's worship. I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonechurch.com. Have a great week and God bless.